this is Nishi and you are listening to Long Story Short. This is episode 5. Whether we claim that we live to eat or eat to live, our relationship with food remains one of the most central themes of our lives. We eat when we are happy, we eat when we are sad, we eat to celebrate and we eat to mourn. We eat to ease period cramps and we eat to recharge ourselves after a grueling workout. We eat when there is nothing else to do and no one to turn to and we eat when we are drowning in work and in crowds. We eat to evoke fond memories and we eat to outrun painful pasts. Sometimes we eat just so we can be around our favorite people and when they have exited our orbit without warning, we eat to commemorate the times we spent together. Depending on our state of mind, we eat with caution and we eat with abandon. We eat like we'd live forever and we eat like there's no tomorrow. We eat with our eyes when a French rat cooks ratatouille for a food critic in a movie. We eat with our ears when La Vie Rose plays on images of croissants on Instagram. Food reminds us where we came from and often it can determine where we are headed. In a sense, food is like books. It nourishes our soul can take us around the world without us leaving a room and introduces us to lived experiences that are far out of our consciousness. In this context, food is not just sentimental, food is also political. My earliest memories of food are tied to my ancestral village. I spent some blissful years living with my grandparents before I was old enough to go to school. Among my friends was one of my father's cousins, who was only a few years older than me. We would stand with tin cans in the sugarcane fields during monsoons to catch tiny fish that had entered the fields with water overflowing from nearby ponds and canals. Sometimes, when he returned from school, he'd secretly feed me roasted pigeon or small crab, roasted over an open fire on his way home. The only condition was that I was not to tell anyone about it. I also remember crouching with other kids from the village in front of a chula, staring at the fire as it st- slow roasted our catch of the day. More often than not, it was baby snails. Years later, when I uh, told my parents that uh, I'd eaten baby snails and uh, pigeon and small crab when I was living in the village, they heard me out and then they told me to never tell people that I've eaten these things. Uh, so moving on, uh, my dadi was a foodie herself, is a foodie herself. Her pedas, uh, which she made from parval, which is pointed gourd, were were legendary and no one could make desi fried rice quite like her. As the only vegetarian in the family, she would cover her nose and mouth with a sari pallu while cooking meat for her husband and kids. On auspicious occasions like arrival of a bride in the family or pidai of a daughter, fresh rohu was caught from our ponds and cooked with great relish. We would sit in a line on the floor and washed banana leaves brought from the backyard would appear in front of us in no time. Eating fish on these occasions used to be a feast in stages. First, we'd eat the fried fish and the fish eggs as appetizers before sitting down for a meal of fish curry and boiled rice. The adults in particular used to get visibly restless with excitement as 
dinner time approached in these settings eating was never a quiet affair extra attention was paid to the different components of the meal was the gravy thicker and spicier than the last time was the meat fresher and more tender sometimes dinner was peppered with remarks by my grandfather who has always had the most interesting things to say about things and people and places and almost all of them are silly hilarious infuriating and amusing sometimes all at once a few days ago i was talking to my father when he narrated a fish related story i hadn't heard before back in the 90s the township where we lived had just got a lake built as part of a small amusement park in the first monsoon after that the boundaries of the lake broke and the fish as they are wont to do started swimming against the stream and ended up on the roads my father's bengali colleagues who were on their way to work quickly abandoned their scooters to catch the freshest rohu they had eaten in years when i asked dad if he got some of the bounty too he laughed and said that unfortunately he had reached office earlier than usual that day this also reminded me of the time i overheard my mother and her friends talking about her bengali neighbors who quote unquote ate fish like we eat vegetables i wasn't particularly fond of fish as a child but now my mouth salivates at the mere mention of fresh water fish prepared in mustard sauce among many the delightful things that maharashtra gave me a taste for rava fried surmai bombil and crab curry are up there with kerala paratha with beef chili fry and vada pav then there's the food i started out with as a young cook once i remember i rustled up a plate of chowmin and nimbu pani as a peace offering to my sister i'd been feeling guilty about fighting with her on her birthday we also loved the fried rice our mother used to make in the biggest aluminum kadai we had at home my younger sister would often let us all know that she was worried we'd run out of the fried rice before she'd had her fill one day somewhat annoyed and amused by this mom just plonked the entire kadai in front of her and said you eat first we'll have whatever is left after a while non vegetarian food was banned in the house and dad took to ordering in chili chicken from the club whenever he returned to whenever he happened to return from work earlier than usual and mom would be out with her friends the last time i was at home my dad and i went on a bender of sorts ordering enough food to feed five people when there were only the two of us eating after two days of this he turned to me and said i'm thinking of giving up meat my eyes widened i tried to keep my voice devoid of any negative emotion why i asked i don't enjoy it as much as i used to i've eaten my share of good food anyway he shrugged loose skin slow walk soft grunts while getting out of bed thinning hair biannual health checkups among all the things that announce the onset of old age in parents the one where my dad told me that he's thinking of giving up his favorite food hurt me the most so that was uh, my experience with food uh, now let's get on to the part where i read out bits from books 
so uh, this this uh, short story is from uh, uh, somerset mom i'm sure like me most of you must have uh, read it in school uh, especially if you were in uh, cbsc board school it's called uh, the luncheon and this was the first time i was uh, i remember being exposed to international cuisine french cuisine in particular this is the first time i heard uh, the word asparagus and uh, caviar so it was quite fascinating to me even then but uh, let's just for nostalgia's sake uh, go through bits from the story so the background is that uh the narrator of the piece is a writer who's taking out a fan for a meal at foyots which is uh, a very upscale restaurant in paris and uh, the narrator is a struggling writer and he's scared that he'll end up paying a lot more than he can afford to and um so i'm starting from the part where they have uh, where they are looking at the menu in at foyots i was startled when the menu was brought for the prices were a good deal higher than i had expected but she assured me i never eat anything for luncheon she said oh don't say that i answered generously i never eat more than one thing i think people eat far too much nowadays a little fish perhaps i wonder if they have any salmon Well, it was early in the year for salmon and it was not on the menu, but I asked the waiter if there was any. Yes, a beautiful salmon has just come in. It was the first they had had. I ordered it for my guest. The waiter asked her if she would have something while it was being cooked. No, she answered. I never eat more than one thing unless you have a little caviar. I never mind caviar. My heart sank a little. I knew I could not afford caviar but I could not very well tell her that I told the waiter to bring caviar for myself I chose the cheapest dish on the menu and that was a mutton chop I think you are unwise to eat meat she said I don't know how you can expect to work after eating heavy things like chops I don't believe in overloading my stomach then came the question of drink I never drink anything for luncheon she said Neither do I. I answered immediately. Except white wine, she continued as though I had not spoken. These French white wines are so light. They are wonderful for the digestion. What would you like? I asked, hospitable but not exactly emotional. She gave me a bright and friendly flash of her white teeth. My doctor will not let me drink anything but champagne. I imagine I turned a little, little pale. I ordered half a bottle. I mentioned casually that my doctor had absolutely forbidden me to drink champagne. What are you going to drink then? Water. So she ate the caviar and then salmon. She talked happily of art and literature and music, but I wondered what the bill would come to. When my mutton chop arrived, she took me quite seriously to task. I see you are in the habit of eating a heavy luncheon. I'm sure it is a mistake. Why don't you follow my example and just eat one thing? I'm sure you will you would feel so much better for it. I'm only going to eat one thing. I said as the waiter came again with the menu. She waved him aside with an airy gesture. 
No, no, I never eat anything for lunch. Just a bite. I never want more than that, and I eat that more as an excuse for conversation than anything else. I couldn't possibly eat anything more, unless they have some of those great asparagus. I should be sorry to leave Paris without having some of them. My heart sank. I had seen them in the shops, and I knew that they were horribly expensive. Madam wants to know if you have any of those great asparagus. I asked the waiter. I tried with all my might to will him to say no. A happy smile spread over his face, and he assured me that they had some so large, so tender, and so very rich that it was a miracle. I am not in the least hungry. My guest sighed. But if you insist, I don't mind having some asparagus. I ordered them. Aren't you going to have any? No, I never eat asparagus. I know there are people who don't like them. The fact is, you ruin your palate by all the meat you eat. We waited for the asparagus to be cooked. Panic seized me. It was not a question now how much money I should have left over for the rest of the month, but whether I had enough to pay the bill. It would be mortifying to find myself ten francs short and be obliged to borrow from my guest. I could not bring myself to do that. I knew exactly how much I had, and if the bill came to more, I ha- I made a decision that I would put my hands in my pocket, and with a dramatic cry, start up and say it had been stolen. Of course, it would be unfortunate if she had not money enough either to pay the bill. Then the only thing would be to leave my watch and say I would come back and pay later. The asparagus arrived. They were big, delicious, and appetizing. I watched the shameless woman thrust asparagus down her throat, and the smell of the mul- melted butter hit my nose. At last, she finished. Coffee, I said. Yes, just an ice cream and coffee, she answered. I was past caring now. So I ordered coffee for myself and an ice cream and coffee for her. Uh, then what happens is, you know, there is one thing I thoroughly believe in. She says, as she ate the ice cream, one should always get up from a meal feeling one could eat a little more. Are you still hungry? I asked weakly. Oh no, I'm not hungry. You see, I don't eat luncheon. I have a cup of coffee in the morning and then dinner, but I never eat more than one thing for luncheon. I was speaking for you. Oh, I see. Then a terrible thing happened. While we were waiting for the coffee, the head waiter, with a pleasant smile on his false face, came up to us bearing a large basket full of big peaches. They were beautiful. They had the they had the rich tone of Italian country. But surely peaches were not in the season then. God knew what they cost. You see, you have filled your stomach with a lot of meat, and you can't eat any more. But I have just had a snack, and I shall enjoy a peach. The bill came, and when I paid it, I found that I had only enough for a quite inadequate tip. So then, what happens is that uh, the author. the narrator in fact of the story leaves a tip of 3 francs uh, which is the french currency which is uh, apparently inadequate and uh, he is judged even for that and he uh, when he leaves the restaurant he has no money at all for the month ahead
so let's stop uh, with that uh, the next bit that i'm going to read is from the bell jar by sylvia plath i read an excerpt from this book for the uh, therapy episode as well but this is so good this i mean it just reflects sylvia plath's love for food so well it's and the way she talks about eating with confidence when you have company it really uh, resonated with me it, i took it as a big learning when i first read this and you'll know when you become to that part so this is from the bell jar by sylvia plath arrayed on the ladies day banquet table were yellow green avocado pear halves stuffed stuffed with crab meat and mayonnaise and platters of rare roast beef and cold chicken and every so often a cut glass bowl heaped with black caviar i hadn't had time to eat any breakfast at the hotel cafeteria that morning except for a cup of overstewed coffee so bitter it made my nose curl and i was starving before i came to new york i'd never eaten out in a proper restaurant i don't count howard johnson's where i only had french fries and cheeseburgers and vanilla frappes with people like buddy villard i'm not sure why it is but i love food more than just about anything else no matter how much i eat i never put on weight with one exception i've been the same weight for 10 years my favorite dishes are full of butter and cheese and sour cream In New York, we had so many free luncheons with people on the magazine and various visiting celebrities. I developed the habit of running my eye down those huge handwritten menus where a tiny side dish of peas cost 50 or 60 cents until I picked the richest, most expensive dishes and ordered a string of them. we were always taken out on expense accounts so i never never felt guilty i made a point of eating so fast i never kept the peop- the other people waiting who generally ordered only chef salad and grapefruit juice because they were trying to reduce almost everybody i met in new york was trying to reduce the sight of all the food stacked in those kitchens made me dizzy It's not that we hadn't enough to eat at home. It's just that my grandmother always cooked economy joints and economy meat loaves and had the habit of saying the minute you lifted the first forkful to your mouth, I hope you enjoy that. It cost 41 cents a pound, which always made me feel I was somehow eating pennies instead of Sunday roast. While we were standing up behind our chairs listening to the welcome speech I had bowed my head and secretly eyed the position of the bowls of caviar one bowl was set strategically between me and Doreen's empty chair I figured the girl from me, across from me couldn't reach it because of the mountainous centerpiece of marzipan fruit and Betsy on my right would be too nice to ask me to share it with her if I just kept it out of the way at my elbow by my butter and bread Besides, another bowl of caviar sat a little way to the right of the girl next to Betsy, and I and she could eat that. My grandfather and I had a standing joke. He was the head waiter at a country club near my hometown, and every Sunday, my grandmother drove in to bring him home for his Monday off. 
my brother and i alternated going with her and my grandfather always served sunday supper to my grandmother and whichever of us was along as if we were regular club guests he loved introducing me to special tidbits and by the age of 9 i had developed a passionate taste for cold vichio soy and caviar and anchovy paste the joke was that at my wedding my grandfather would see i had all the caviar i could eat it was a joke because i never intended to get married and even if i did my grandfather couldn't have afforded enough caviar unless he robbed the country club kitchen and carried it off in a suitcase under cover of the clinking of water goblets and silverware and bone china i paved my plate with plate with chicken slices then i covered the chicken slices with caviar thickly as if i was spreading peanut butter on a piece of bread then i picked up the chicken slices in my fingers one by one rolled them so the caviar wouldn't ooze off and ate them i discovered after a lot of extreme apprehension about what spoons to use that if you do something incorrect at table with a certain arrogance as if you knew perfectly well you were doing it properly you can get away with it and nobody will think you are bad mannered or poorly brought up they will think you are original and very witty I learned this trick the day JC took me to lunch with a famous poet. I'm sorry I lost uh the spot where I was okay I found it. I learned this trick the day JC took me to lunch with a famous poet. He wore a horrible lumpy speckled brown tweed jacket and grey pants. and a red and blue checked open-throated jersey in a very formal restaurant full of fountains and chandeliers where all the other men were dressed in dark suits and immaculate white shirts this poet ate his salad with his fingers leaf by leaf while talking to me about the antithesis of nature and art i couldn't take my eyes off the pale stubby white fingers traveling back and forth from the poet's salad bowl to the poet's mouth with one dripping lettuce leaf after another Nobody giggled or whispered rude remarks. The poet made eating salad with your fingers seem to be the only natural and sensible thing to do. None of our magazine editors or staff members sat anywhere near me and Betsy seemed sweet and friendly. She didn't even seem to like caviar. So I grew more and more confident. When I finished my first plate of cold chicken and caviar, I laid out another. Then I tackled the av- the avocado and crab meat salad. Avocados are my favorite fruit. Every Sunday, my grandfather used to bring me an avocado pear hidden at the bottom of his suitcase under six soiled shirts and the Sunday comics. He taught me how to eat avocados by melting grape jelly and French dressing together in a saucepan and filling the cup of the pear with the garnet sauce. I felt homesick for that sauce. the crab meat tasted bland in comparison so i'll stop there that was uh, food from the bell jar in which uh, sylvia platts 20 something narrator is sort of reflecting the author's love for food uh, in this passage 
सो आई होप यू एन्जॉयड लिसनिंग टू दिस एपिसोड जस्ट एज मच एज आई एन्जॉयड पुटिंग इट टूगेदर माई विश फॉर यू टूडे इज दैट यू ईट वेल एंड डिराइव द जॉय फ्रॉम फूड दैट इज यूजली रिजर्व फॉर एक्टिविटीज दैट रिक्वायर एफर्ट are going against the grain of some sort like exercising meditating or working way past your bedtime long story short my wish for you is that you can experience the restorative magic of food when everything else fails till then take care of yourself and be safe bye guys